Good morning. So um, Ozark has been fortunate through the years to enjoy friendship and partnership with Christ and youth. And um, it's through a partnership with Christ and youth that we're able to welcome our guest speaker to campus today. I want to tell you a little bit about him before I call him out here. David Kinneman is... Um, is the author of several best-selling books, including Good Faith, You Lost Me, and Unchristian. He's also just released a new book called Faith for Exiles, which we're going to be talking about a little bit this morning. Um, he's the president of Barna Group. This is a leading research and communications company that works with churches, nonprofits, and businesses, ranging from film studios to financial services. Since 1995, David has directed interviews with nearly one million individuals, and overseen hundreds of U.S. and global research studies. Uh, he and his wife live in California with their three kids. Uh, he actually has two kids in college right now, one at Berkeley in California and one at Biola University. Um, so when he talks about ministering to college-age students, he, he knows a little bit about what he's talking about from personal experience. Here's, here's how I met David. I met David a few years back at a conference for the Association of Biblical Higher Education, and I promise you, it is just as exciting as that sounds. Um, tweed jackets and nerds everywhere you look. Um, uh, and this is the highest compliment that I can give the man. I went to a seminar that he was, uh, that he was leading on, uh, on teaching Gen Z and, and interacting with, with that generation, and uh, he was engaging, he was thought-provoking, he was energetic, and just a delight to listen to, which at the Association of Biblical Higher Education Conference is saying something. So, uh, made quite an impression on me that day, and I'm just so thrilled to welcome him to our campus. Would you welcome David Kinneman? Thanks, guys. Hello, David. That was quite an introduction. <laughs> um, I think what you, mean, what you mean to say is like, I'm like the best of the nerds, best of um, the geeks. I make that's even, saying something. even geeks that's, look good. So. That's not nothing. <laughs> that's not nothing. Um, so a couple uh, get to know you questions. First of all, high stakes. Okay. Best sitcom ever. Go. Well, uh, I, th I think we were just talking about this in the car, but yeah. Seinfeld was when we, I was growing up was, yeah. was really good, but it's not yeah. as funny anymore. It's not as funny anymore. That's, I think that's so, valid. I feel like um, my kids and I love to watch The Office together. Yeah. <laughs> David, that does really invite the question, when, oh, when will you write the book for Gen X? We're, we're lost over here. We, yeah. we need, we need a, a Seinfeld generation book. Um, we get no love. We always uh, get overlooked, don't we? Second question, Jordan or LeBron James? Mm. Kobe? Oh, I, see, I knew you were going to say that. It's from Southern California. Got it. Kobe Bryant guy right here. Uh, okay, well, for third place, that's not bad. Um, top 10-ish. Uh, deep dish or original? Uh, are we talking about pizza? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm, I don't know. I, I like this place near, near our house called Red Brick Pizza, which okay. is, I do a thin crust. So, thin crust. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Is, is pineapple on a pizza a legitimate topping? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, all right. Especially with jalapenos. Okay. 
also pineapple and jalapenos. Exactly. Since you're a guest on our campus, there's I'll a, say, a, one of the pizza places in Ventura called yeah. uh, Toppers. There's one called Hawaiian Heat, and it, so it has ham, uh, p- uh, pineapple, and jalapenos. It's it's pretty great. Sounds delicious. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Um, Hawaiian Heat. Okay. Well, I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then um, I'm lo- I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Um, I- I've got some some questions for David just about the book specifically, but just more generally about um, how we can more effectively minister to this generation, uh, whether we call it Gen Z or iGen or whatever we want to call it. Mm -hmm. And so looking forward to our conversation, pray with us, and then we're going to dive in. Lord God, we thank you for uh, the work that Barna does um, and the the ministry that they've had through the years um, in your kingdom. I thank you specifically for David and his ministry um, with Barna and for his whole family. And uh, I pray that you would bless this conversation that we have. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this book, Faith for Exiles, just came out. By the way, uh, we're having a book signing in the lobby right after chapel. You could pick up the book for a discounted price. I encourage you to do so. Um, It's a great book. What were you trying to accomplish with this book? Well, I have to take you back a few years to understand sort of the backstory on it. Um, so just a little bit about the company that I run. It's called Barna, and it's a research company. So we do interviews and social interviews across the country and now increasingly around the world. And we use interviews as a sacred art of understanding someone's spiritual journey, right? So uh, we do like 15, 20-minute interviews with someone. And, and I always think about the, the story about someone's like, life when they mark a box on our, one of our online surveys that they're lonely or that they're a Christian or whatever, right? I was actually, this is a totally side story, but we had a foreign exchange student from Thailand um, who was Buddhist who lived with us for a year. She's a great, great, great girl. And uh, we did a little survey in our church um, that asked her, asked all of us to fill out a survey. And so I was sitting next to her. She was with us for the whole year. And it was like towards the end of the year. And she'd had, we'd had a lot of good spiritual conversations. And, um, and, and there was a question like, do you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus? And I'm like, I'm not supposed to do this, but you're like, I'm not looking at her answers. Um, and so she marked the yes box and inside I was like, yes. And then she marked the no box too. She marked them both. You're like, not supposed to do that. <laughs> anyway, so I think about the backstory of someone who, who marks our surveys. And, you know, so I've interviewed a lot of people. I've, I'm, um, I'm 45 years old. I've been doing this for 24 years. And a lot of what dr- drives me is to try to understand the spiritual journeys of your generation, of, of, of Gen Z. And so I've interviewed tons of people who have walked away from their faith. Um, and that was a big part of a project that I did called You Lost Me. It was a book called You Lost Me about the reasons that this generation walks away from the church or why they walk away from the, from the faith. Uh, and then I, before that, I had done a book called Unchristian, which looked at the negative perceptions of Christians that were hypocritical and judgmental and anti-homosexual. So those were fun to write. Uh, those were really like uplifting. Even my mom was like, what are you writing here, Dave? Uh, but, but, you know, so I have this background of trying to understand the, the, really the hard stuff of someone's spiritual journey. So this book comes out of a lot of that like history for me, the last 10 years of understanding the disconnections 
And now I really want to understand what is connecting, like what is making your generation resilient in faith today. Uh, and so that's really the backstory behind Faith for Exiles. And I, I love the emphasis on <clears throat> resiliency that's all throughout the book, um, which, is, which is a slightly different twist on some of your previous work, which is this, this book isn't about walking away from the faith. This yep. book is about what makes for, for a resilient disciple living in, and here's the subtitle of the book, living in digital Babylon, five, five ways for, for a new generation to follow Jesus in digital Babylon. Unpack a little bit for our students here. What do you mean by that image of digital Babylon? What does that, that refer to? Yeah, so <clears throat> well, I think my favorite, one of my favorite people in scripture is Daniel. So um, I've, I've just been reading and rereading his story and other exiles in scripture as well. Esther and Joseph in a way has an exile story. Um, and so the idea of Daniel, I've just read and reread his story. Um, and so Babylon is, of course, the context where Daniel gets taken away from this Hebrew way of life, and then he has to go and be faithful in a new, in a new context in Babylon. Um, and, and a lot of times, you guys have probably heard that story, and when you, when you hear it taught, it's a lot about, like, the courage to stand up, the pra- he's a prayer warrior, and all those things that we should celebrate about his life. But I actually think his backstory, if we were to make a movie about his story, actually our company does a lot of market research for some of the Hollywood studios. So I've worked with Paramount and DreamWorks and Sony. Our offices are in Southern California. So we'll actually do market research about Christians and about the faith audience. And we'll go down and do like consulting with different different film and studio and music companies down in LA. Um, and so like we have a chance to work on a lot of films. So if you were to make a, a story about Daniel's life, to make it really interesting and actually true, you would have to tell the tension of being in exile, right? And like, it's not as simple as we make it out in the preaching of when we sometimes, like, yeah, he was, it was like, he just stood up to the, you know, the powers of the age or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, it's like, it's much more than a VeggieTales movie, right? Um, <clears throat> what was it? Rackshack and Benny or something yes. like that? Yeah. That was a good one. Nice. Um, and so, so that, that idea of Babylon has just been, you know, lighting me up for a long time. And, um, and so one day I was doing a radio interview and I, I was describing the current context. And I, I just like, I was like, it's digital Babylon. And it like stuck for me as a way of thinking about this because we don't, you, you guys have this incredible opportunity and privilege of being alive during an incredible um, transformation of, of, of technology. And, you know, the, the, the similar, something similar happened 500 years ago when the printing press was invented. Uh, and Protestant emerge, Protestantism emerges from that. Martin Luther, a lot of our tradition comes from the information change that happened with the Protestant Reformation. And you guys are living right in the middle of a major, major disruption. All of us are. That's changing every single industry. It's, ch- it's changing all those things. So that's digital Babylon. Um, you know, pornography is not new in human experience, but the first time in human history, you can access it, you know, without having to go to some weird, you know, shop down at the corner. Like it's just on a swipe of a finger, you know, like all of the human knowledge, so to speak, is available through your phones. Um, and so Digital Babylon is a really cool and amazing place. It makes us more c- connected. It helps us understand the world better. Um, you know, you can, you can, if you're in a debate about, you know, who's better, uh, Jordan or LeBron, you can Google what other people have thought. Um, Create a uh, Twitter poll. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but the, the whole notion is like digital Babylon is this new context. So I'm excited to describe that for you guys uh, today and, you know, just in our work to try to help you guys get some language for that. So we're all living in digital Babylon. You know, students are, 
their parents are, even their grandparents to an extent are living in digital Babylon. But comment on the relationship or the differences that might exist between their experiences in this digital Babylon and even their parents' experiences in digital Babylon. Like how, how, is, how is digital Babylon affecting them uniquely? Well, I, I'd want to do a survey with you to figure that, all that out. But I mean, I think some of the things that I'm, I'm seeing is that, you know, you know, you guys are digital natives. You guys are raised with, with phones and screen times. By the way, I loved how, uh, was Alex who, who did the announcements and, and um, great job. Are you in here still? Um, he's probably- Way to go, Alex. Yeah. Um, you the man, right there. <laughs> I really loved how you guys are committing as a community to not to turn off your phones. And if you can't do it together, like how are you going to do it alone? Um, and so as digital natives, you're having to learn and, you know, and embody different practices of what it means to be faithful in a digital context, because it's just so much in the air you breathe. Um, and, and, you know, it's just, um, I think older generations don't fully appreciate that. Um, we all use a lot of content for, through our screens, but this generation and your generation, uh, the, there's a great leveling field. It's sort of like, you, you know, um, we interview a lot of young people who walk away from faith because they, were, they got lost in a, in a YouTube algorithm. I call it the gospel according to YouTube. And they start going into like, you know, atheist blogs and different things. Uh, I had one young person who, was, uh, who we were interviewing. He's like, hey, what do you think about, and guys, you got to hang with me about this for a second, okay? So um, this one 15-year-old that I was interviewing, he's like, hey, what do you think about the Bible verse that says um, that if a man, uh, if a woman grabs a man by his testicles, you should cut off her hand and show no mercy. And I was like, bro, I don't think that's a Bible verse. But it is. <laughs> Deuteronomy 25.11, guys. So uh, I was completely unprepared for that question. Um, wasn't a scenario I was imagining. Verse will ruin your devotional moment. Yeah. But here's the thing. This young man had found that on an atheist blog. And here's the thing. It was verses you should read if you're asked to read a Bible, Bible verse in public. Because like you know, your Christian school isn't going to know what to do with that, are they? Um, and so here's the thing, like, you know, you got, we've got people who are youth ministry professors, studying to be youth ministry, you're studying to do ministry. Um, I love being here at Ozark. You guys have this whole energy about like living life on mission with Jesus. And so like, you have to have the courage to learn how to answer those questions. Like you should preach Deuteronomy 25:11 so that students in your youth group aren't surprised by that when they come across it, when the algorithms say, hey, you should read this crazy verse to, to really throw someone. I think, I think it's, it's, it's important to note too that these, these students grew up through their formative years with YouTube, right. with technology. You and I didn't. You know, we didn't really go through our formative years with that. And that's, that's creating this, this weird sort of relationship between, I like the term digital natives, those who grew up with it and have been, you use the word discipled mm -hmm. in the book. You've been discipled by screens, discipled by technology, and we all are to a certain extent, but I think especially growing up in your formative years with technology, it does have that discipling effect on us. So I think there's all sorts of interesting implications that researchers are starting to show the effects of this. There's a great, um, a great researcher out of the University of Southern California, uh, UCSD, Jean Twenge or Twangy, I always forget. Twangy. I Twangy? asked her how to pronounce you, her Twangy? name. She, okay. she told me Twangy. All right, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take it's it. To, weird. I'll take it. To Twangy, the, just like Twangy. from the south. All right, so here's a book called iGen, and a lot of her research is just showing 
that the more screen time people use, whatever your age, the more anxiety, the more depression, the more mental health issues you have. It's not correlation. This is one of the Bible verses for today. You ready? Correlation doesn't equal causation. Try it. Correlation doesn't equal causation. You guys are like, okay, don't, you don't have to nerd out with me. It's all right. See, this is why, this is why Chad found me interesting that day. Um, we're, we're, we're on this. We're the same. All right. So correlation doesn't equal causation. When you see research, just because there's a correlation doesn't mean that's the causal factor. So just because someone is using more screen time doesn't mean that caused it. But we do have to pay attention to correlations because it tells us something that might be really important, right? And so there's just all sorts of really important information now that's showing up about how our immersion with screens and your generation sort of growing up with screens is changing the way we relate to other human beings. Social media doesn't always make us more social. Uh, it's changing our relationship to pornography. Um, you know, there's all sorts of crazy information about that, that pornography is being pushed to younger and younger ages uh, and a whole range of other things that are happening in terms of pornography. So it's changing our views towards sexuality. Um, and so you're, you're, you guys are signing up on some level. Um, you know, you're, you've selected into being in a school like Ozark. And you're selecting into being in, you know, in a lot of cases, a ministry program, and you're here because you want to live life on mission with Jesus. And, you know, some of you are in your own spiritual journeys as well, and I understand that and, and really do respect, respect you for that. Um, and you're signing up for doing ministry in a really cool and crazy time. And that's where I think Daniel and other people in Scripture can be real, like, heroes for us because they had to navigate a lot of this stuff as well. Um, and by the way, First Peter has a ton of stuff about P Peter. Peter's also writing using the exile metaphor, which is what gives me some little bit of courage to try to say to the church today that we're in a different kind of exile today because even Peter, hundreds of years after Daniel and other exiles would say, hey, remember the Babylonian captivity? Remember what that was like? And he even says like in our modern Babylon, which was Rome, we're gonna to have to learn to live as sacrificial, sacrificial sub submitted, you know, suffering people here in our current context. And we have a ton to learn uh, about what that looks like for us today. And, and so you guys are signing up for that really cool, but like a, a mission that your parents and grandparents don't fully understand. Um, because the world, it's not that your generation is so awesome and great and you're gonna save the world. It's just that the world has changed so much. The technology is changing so much that you're going to be on mission in a completely different world. Yeah, I've read that we're, we've now crossed the threshold of the fourth major turning point in human history when it comes to technology, alphabet, then writing, then the printing press, then digital technology. And which is amazing to think about it, like you're, not only are you alive during this, this period of human history, you get the opportunity of doing ministry during this period of human history. And that, that's an awesome privilege. That's, yeah, it is. It's overwhelming at times to think about the implications of that, but it's also overwhelming to think about the privilege of ministering in that context. So that's, that should really excite you. That should really motivate you. Just, just a note on uh, Twangy's book. I, I really do recommend that book. If you are at all interested, I recommend this book too, Dave. Oh, thank you. Uh, but if you are at all interested let me, in, let me slip you some money in, here. in lear learning more about your generation, about iGen, or gen I like iGen personally, but... Um, uh, she has great statistics in there and, and research in there. One of the things that strikes me as a, as a father of a now teenage girl is what she says about teenage girls in the book, that they're um, especially susceptible to um, 
the effects of social media and screen time on mental health and, and mm -hmm. things of that nature. And it, it was really kind of a sobering book to read in a lot of ways. Apparently guys um, aren't so susceptible because they're just spending their whole time just gaming. So yeah, that, like, I mean, that's yeah. part of it. Yeah. Um, is there any, so one of the things that I like about Barna books, um, and your last name is not Barna, uh, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things that I like about Barna books is that um, they're, they're punctuated with, re with real hard research with data. So it's not just anecdotes, it's not just kind of how I felt when I woke up this morning. There's, there's research here, there's interviews, there's surveys. Um, so, um, and I think that's a great service to the church. One of the things that I'm always kind of curious though to ask researchers is, was there anything that surprised you? As you're writing this book, as you're doing the research, did you find anything like, huh, I didn't know that before, or that, that's not what I would have expected, or whatever? Well, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, when I worked, <clears throat> excuse me, when I worked on the book, You Lost Me, um, it was actually really hard. I originally titled that book, um, Faith at Last, and it was going to be a book about all the things that are working, but it was actually surprising how hard it was to find the things that are working. And so we ended up focusing that book more on the disconnections. So, you know, the church is viewed as anti-science. It's viewed as repressive and exclusive and doubtless. And um, so in, in a lot of ways, it's sort of easier talking about the, and uh, talking and surfacing the bad news because everyone has a complaint. But in this book, it was harder to sort of figure out some of the things that might be working because they also seem to be so self-evident. So, you know, cultural discernment, like learning how to apply scriptural wisdom to the world that we live in and how to think about the media choices that we're making, for example, or experiencing Jesus or meaningful relationships. On some level, like I said, they're so self-evident that um, I've had to be really careful about how, even as we start, this book is only about three weeks out, um, as we start talking to youth pastors and leaders, like I want them not to like quickly dismiss it. Like, oh yeah, yeah, of course we're doing all that. So like there's a deeper story. Um, um, and so I think that's part of what was surprising is, is, is sort of how self-evident these things are. But here's the thing, a lot of, the church, a lot of what we do for church today, <clears throat> it, doesn't, it doesn't work as well as it did even 20 years ago or 25 years ago. Um, and here's an example. So one of, one of the ways that I think about the results of this is that we're doing dial-up ministry in a Wi-Fi world. You guys know what dial-up is? Dial-up is like the old way you used to. Raise your hand if you've ever <laughs> used dial-up internet. Oh, look at that. Wow. Okay. All right. So dial up was super, super slow. You know, you'd wait for like ever for a single sort of page to load. Um, you know, it literally had a sound that was, was you know, like computers right. talking to right. each other. Um, and uh, I don't know even what that makes. Make, that, is that what it is? Computers talking to each other? Let's go with that. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so, so we're doing dial up ministry in a Wi-Fi world. And what that means is that the questions that this generation is dealing with um, and the amount of time that we have in a typical week, like even if you have a really good youth group attender, that, that may or may not mean that they're actually connecting with what is happening because they're getting so much other information through other sources. Um, and they're, 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 their whole bargain, their whole value of being a part of the youth group is changing. So when, when I was in youth group, you know, you went because it was the extracurricular activity to do to meet people, to go to church. It was like sort of the social thing to do. In this generation, it's not as much the social thing to do. It's just, it's, it's, it's layered on the sports and other things and social media connects you instantly anyway. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's part of this idea of how are we gonna actually help this generation learn how to live in our current culture? 
um, you know, like sexuality, you can't just preach about it on a Sunday, you know, Sunday uh, youth group or whatever. You've got to actually work your way through a lot of content to think about that particular content and think about what it means for us to live faithfully in terms of human sexuality today. I want to ask you about, about so you, you outlined five ways for this new generation of Christians to, to develop a resilient faith. And I want to ask you about some of those in just a moment. But I want to ask you kind of a generic, kind of general question too. Um, Is this about pizza again? No, it's not about pizza. Uh, so... <clears throat> You know, each generation is kind of used to the feeling of getting beaten up by the older generations. You know, that's kind of a time-honored tradition. Um, and, and so a lot of the press about Gen Z or iGen is, is negative press, you know, uh, which I think creates within us sort of this pathology as we think about this generation, as we think about our own generation. What are some of the things that give you hope and optimism when you, when you think about Gen Z and when you think about these students ministering to their peers in Gen Z? What, what gives you hope? Well, first, I have a little bit of advice if anybody does complain about millennials or Gen Z, is you just ask the simple question, who raised us? Yeah. <laughs> right? So um, I find that pastors and parents and leaders who complain, it's like I silence them immediately um, by saying, well, who raised this generation? You gave the participation trophy. Yeah, Don't exactly. complain about that. <laughs> they didn't create it. So I think um, it's actually really sad to me. It's heartbreaking to me that your generation is so often viewed with suspicion and criticism. Um, and we did this one survey where we were looking at who is, who, who is generous, is, who is perceived to be generous in a congregation, and boomers and elders, the older generations, were like, yeah, we're, we're pretty generous, yeah. And they're like, well, how about the millennials and Gen Z? They're like, no, no, they're not generous. And then the millennials and Gen Z actually gave a lot of credit to boomers and elders for being generous, and they gave themselves modest votes for being like also generous. And by the way, the whole idea of what does it mean to be generous is there's, maybe you've heard like the five love languages. I actually think there's like different languages of generosity. Like you can be hospitable, you can give money, you can give your time, you can, you know, give your concern and empathy and support to somebody. There's like different ways of being generous and we need to practice those muscles. Most churches only seem to emphasize like the giving, like you're generous if you give money, but there's different ways of being generous. And I think your generation has a, a, a shot at really helping to to correct that, to help the church understand the different ways to be generous in the world. And so I, I you know, I'm really sorry. Um, I, 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 can't, um, I can't tell you how much it hurts me when I hear uh, people, uh, older generations complain, you know, label you guys. Um, and, and, and so I feel like there's a, an opportunity for you guys to, to should really be, create some new labels. We should be empowering them, not tearing them down. It, does, it, it seems like a curious strategy. Well, to like, me, oh, the future of the church is rotten because all y'all are rotten. Enti like, entitled narcissists, man. Yeah. <laughs> Not just rotten. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is part of the reason why I talk about exile is that, you know, the world is shifting. You guys are having to learn how to be faithful, firmly planted in a world where, that, where the, like, the rules are changing. Um, and so, you know, a, a lot of things are... Um, like I said, I'm really heartbroken about the state of the church in America and, you know, what we can do to sort of revive it. And we've been, we've been dealing with 
sort of these kinds of problems for, for a long time, but you guys are dealing with a place where, you know, more and more young people are like, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. I'm walking away. I'm going to, I'm going to drop out of this, but we've had cultural Christianity forever. I think about my mother-in-law who is uh, a lifelong Christian. She doesn't go to church very often, uh, but she came and visited us and we, we were watching a, a discovery show program about big cats. Those were tigers and lions and pumas and stuff. And so my lifelong Christian mother-in-law uh, said, you know, Dave, during my next life, I would like to be reincarnated as a tiger. And I looked at her, and I was like, come again. Mm. You know, like, <laughs> and she's like, I believe in reincarnation. I, you know, I'm pretty sure. And like, I'd like to be reincarnated. If, it, if that turns out to be the way it all works, I'd rather be, in, I want to be reincarnated as a tiger. And I was like, and I went to a Bible college, right? Biola. But I, the best thing that came to mind at that time was just like, they're beautiful animals, Janice. Good luck, you know? <laughs> <clears throat> So uh, I didn't get into any theological debate with her, but, but for her birthday later that year, we did get her a card with a, a, a tiger wading through a jungle pool and it was, it was blank on the inside. So my wife and I were like thinking of different inscriptions we could write. So we were like, you know, um, happy birthday, Janice, you're almost there. Uh, <laughs> go, you're like, go get him, tiger, earning your stripes every day. I was, like, I was like, Jill, your mom is a tiger mom. She wants to be a tiger. No, but so anyway, we, 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 wrote in, we wrote in there, happy birthday, Janice. We hope your wildest dreams come true. So that felt like safe <laughs> enough. You, uh, so I say that because we're dealing with cultural Christianity on many levels. Yeah. You know, I love, yeah. my, I love my mother-in-law, but she's, you know, she's pro-reincarnation. Pro yeah. And, you know, what, one of the things that, that I'd encourage you to think through too is, so you've grown up in digital Babylon, you're, you're, you're digital natives. One of the things that that probably means for you as you minister in the midst of and to older Christians is pro you're probably going to have to develop some patience and you're, pro you're going to have to develop some empathy and some understanding for those that didn't grow up in that type of environment. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we, the tendency is to think our generation is so unique and we have everything just so figured out and we don't have much time or patience for those who have come before us, just like sometimes they don't have patience for those who have come behind them. And, uh, and so we, we need to develop empathy for those who haven't spent their formative years in this digital context. You talk about identity formation in the book, and that's, that's one of the, the habits of a, of a resilient Christian is that their identity is, is formed in Christ. Mm -hmm. And what, I, what I'd like to hear you talk about a little bit is what are some of those things, some of those obstacles that we need to be aware of outside of technology, which I think is one of the more obvious ones. But what are, what are some of the obstacles that are getting in the way or hindering us as, as younger Christians really forming our identity or having our identity formed in Christ? Well, this is the, when you asked me earlier, like what surprises me, you know, a lot of the stuff on our, our study of people's experience of Jesus surprised me because it's, <clears throat> it's so often that people love Jesus, but they don't really, they love the notion of Jesus, but they don't actually follow Jesus. <clears throat> and we write about this idea of a brand Jesus that we've almost sold and packaged an experience of Jesus. You know, you, you go to the event, you go to the church, you're like, you raise your hand. Yeah, I think I've got the t-shirt. It all makes sense. But you really haven't been all that transformed. And I think we have to, in some ways, raise the bar for what it means to follow Jesus and be clearer about what it means for us to be resilient and not just like, yeah, I, you know, I, I 
check the box, you know, like my, my Thai student, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, yes and no. Um, and so I think one of the unique pressures for your generation is that screens, um, and by the way, I, like, I use technology a lot in my work, I use it, we use it in our family, like I'm not in any way like anti-technology and the people that sort of, by calling a digital Babylon, I'm not like down with the technology guys, like it's more like, you know, how is it that we're gonna live in this really cool, new, beautiful, brutal world? And, um, and so I think one of the pressures is this idea of even like how do you, how do you um, position yourself or posture yourself on social media and we're learning this, like you guys, as a, as, because you're digital natives, for your whole lives, you've thought about avatar, avatars and you know, how you're gonna present yourselves to, to people. And I've felt that just in you know, the years I've been using social media as well. I joined- Your Twitter. wedding hashtag? Yeah, exactly. I've, um, I joined Twitter about 10 years ago and I, like, I noticed that it is, it's great. It keeps me more connected and I'm learned. I follow really interesting people and, and groups. It's become my primary news feed, other things, but it also like, I'm, I find myself promoting myself or you know, tempted to like do certain things on there to make myself look good. And so a lot of times I've had to actually just put my phone away and just stop using it. Um, and so I think technology is, is, is changing our identity pursuit, right? And so you've got to, there's this, even this whole, this whole idea of like, you do you. Yeah. And there's a lot of that in our, in our culture today that says that the, the single best thing you can do is discover yourself. Isn't it interesting that a lot of those narratives about discovering yourself or you do you are about doing the cultural norms, right? And not about doing the biblical norms. So how about like you do you and do the Bible, right? And do the Bible as, as powerfully because the scriptures, this is one of the reasons I actually just am sold out to the Christian scriptures and to following Jesus is that this is an ancient book, but it speaks to us in our current anxiety-driven anxiety, anxiety psychological age. Like the book of Ecclesiastes has things to say to me as an ambitious leader. Um, the, the book of Lamentations has things to say to us when we're in, in, in enduring great tragedy. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, the Psalms speak a, about a creator and, and the anger and, you know, all, all the, like all the human emotions, a range of human emotions is available for us by reading scripture. And so God wants to reorient our deepest identity and tell us truer things about ourselves than what the culture tells Didn't us. Didn't you talk about in this book that you do family devos from Ecclesiastes? Yeah. Man after my own heart right there. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Just so you know, kids, everything is meaningless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, so the first time I heard you speak at ABHE, again, years ago, I remember you talking about uh, vocational discipleship even back then. And that was well before this book was in, in the works. I, I remember you saying something along the lines of, for, for this generation of college students, there is a disconnect between their work and their theology. And yep. they don't know how to bridge that divide. And I may be misremembering this, but I, I feel like you said this is one of the most pressing issues that faces us in Christian education, is figuring out how to bridge that divide. You talk about that in this book too. Can you just explain to the students, what, what do we mean by vocational discipleship and what, what is that need that we need to address, not just in our own lives, but in those that we minister to? Well, let me ask it this way. How many of you um, know someone who is part of your youth group or church experience that is not following Jesus today or has, has significantly walked away from the church? How many of you know somebody who's in that category, right? So all of us know someone who's experienced that. And here's my simple argument about that. 
it's not because we didn't give them enough Jesus sermons, right? It's partly because we didn't help them connect that faith that they signed up for to their Monday to Friday lives. And we're, we're com- I'm convinced through our research that that's part of the, the, the drop off. And, and again, if you're a youth ministry um, student or you're thinking about this, is like there is a whole new way of thinking about youth ministry, I believe, that isn't just about being like prepared to lead the worship and give a great talk and, you know, attract students into the church. We have to vocationally disciple. And so, you, you know, sometimes I think about, this is a little bit of a side story, but we, we have, our, you know, our email list from our company, right? So when, when the email list goes out to hundreds of, well, I don't know, what, about 100,000 people, um, our team goes like, push, they push the send button. And I'm like, I'm like, did you think about the one client who's gonna call me up and complain about this? And, 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 and sure enough, this one guy uh, did. It, just, it was like just a few minutes before we, we sent this email out and, and it went out and then, and then this guy like, hey, did you, why did you do this partnership? And I was like, see, this is what happens. So when you're doing your youth ministry preparation, you're thinking about all the programs you're doing, you know, you might have a student in your, in your, uh, in your, in your youth group or in your church who's scientifically minded, who's philosophically oriented, who's, who's got like, who's, who can program the heck out of a website already at age 13, 14, 15 years old. And if you're like preaching out to the world, but you're missing the heart of that science minded student, you've actually missed God's calling in their life. And so that's, I think just an incredible opportunity for us uh, as, as leaders to begin to like, okay, well, what's that person thinking about in terms of their vocational journey at age 13, 14, 15, even younger? Um, You know, we do vacation Bible school, but I think we should do vocation Bible school uh, where we actually try to help connect connect the scriptures into these great vocations. A friend of mine who designed one of the uh, ballparks for Major League Baseball, um, he he designed uh, Pittsburgh PNC, PNC Park. It's a nice park. Yeah, it was a beautiful park. Yeah. And, um, and so he's the lead architect on that. He said that when he discovered in Exodus, I think it's 34 and 35 or 35 and 36, the guys that were, were gifted by the spirit, it said, to create the tabernacle. And they were, they were gifted by God to, to, to work with their hands and to, and to work with precious metals and gems and everything and wood. He's like, that saved my faith. So, I mean, like, guys, we have this stuff in the scriptures that helps us to speak to all of the vocations, not just the Christian ministry, saving the souls of the world uh, thing. So I'm convinced that's a way we could close the gap that, you know, again, it's the work of God in people's lives and the Holy Spirit. But what if our strategies, the reason that so many of us raise our hands to that question is that we just keep like pummeling people with like blah, 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 Jesus. And I don't, I don't mean that like to make fun of good sermons about Jesus. It's just yeah. that it's, if, if Jesus isn't important in all of life, he's not important in any of life. Yeah. And this generation is rejecting false narratives like that. Yeah. And, and they, they want something that's real. They, they want something that's transformative. And if we as communicators, if we just assume that people are gonna connect the dots between our message and their work life, their message and their home life. We just assume that connection is gonna happen. Maybe what that really means is we don't know how to make the connection. Right. Like we, we've become kind of lazy about building that bridge. We've become our own sort of technocrat and yeah. we know how to do ministry, but we don't know how to do life in the real world. And yeah. a lot of people, when we interview Christians in the workplace, they tell us, man, the church doesn't really understand my work life. Yeah. Um, and it's not just like, well, what do you do? You know, like take a pastor to work day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, <laughs> um, 
you know, it's like they don't understand the pressures of what it means for us to push back the darkness in the industry of education or in the industry. So if you're going to be a student on mission with Jesus today uh, for, to, do, to do ministry, vocational ministry, you have to be as concerned about what's happening in the Monday through Friday lives of the people. Like I know most pastors in America would absolutely know the average commute time Mm -hmm. to their church, but they would not know the industries that the people in their church are working in. Other than like that guy could serve on my missions committee, that guy could be on my, you know, that guy's a bit, you know, wealthy, so I'm gonna ask him for money. It's all about like, what can you do to build my church? But, the, but what I'm seeing from your generation and from Christians in this culture is like, they don't wanna just come to a church where the pastor knows how to get all the resources to build his committees and build his buildings and all the stuff. They actually wanna be like sent out on mission and prepared for ministry in those different, in those different industries. Yeah. Um, so that, that would, that's I think a, a fun vision for what, how I once had an elder out. force me to come harvest corn with him because he was convinced that I didn't know the difference between corn and beans. So I had to go out and I had to work the fields with him one day. He had, he had to teach that young preacher boy something about farming. Um, it was good. It was fun. Can I, so we're about out of time. I have one last question for you. All right. Um, so we're preparing for ministry in various contexts, in various ways, different places, but we're all, we're all in the business of, of preparing for that kingdom work. And this is a book about resilient discipleship. Could you connect the dots between resilient discipleship and resilient ministry? So I know we're short on time, but what, what are some of the things that you would say to encourage our students towards resilient discipleship in the context of ministry? Well, it was a, a verse I read last night uh, that I was listening to a podcast from my friend, John Tyson, who reminded me of the story in the life of Daniel. And I had forgotten about it in the midst of my memory uh, and it was, it's in Daniel 9 and uh, 10, where he's, he's visited, any of you remember what angel visits Daniel? Any of you remember? Gabriel. And this is like one of the craziest stories that I, I think we forget. And it, it literally says, Daniel 9, I think verse 23, that like Daniel has this incredible prayer um, repenting for his people and praying for God's purposes in exile. Um, And it's actually the exact same thing that Jeremiah told him to do, to pray for the peace and prosperity of the city where I send you into exile. By the way, that one verse that says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you peace and a future and hope, that is for the people going into exile. So we turn it into like a little greeting card and a little like, you know, like Tattoo. hashtag, but it's like, it's like serious stuff. Like you're about to face some real, some real tough challenges. And so here's the story is that uh, Gabriel shows up and, um, and he says, the prayers, the minute you started praying, Daniel, like something happened in the heavenlies. And, and like, and there's a whole other thing that I had forgotten about is that that, that uh, the archangel has to fight with the prince of Persia. It's actually like, it's like this whole sense of a spiritual battle, like the dominion of, of heaven and hell. So here's the thing I would say, connecting ministry, like, I, like I'm like the strategy dude, right? Like I got like pie charts and on all the, the PowerPoint slides and all the rest. Like God wants you to be people of prayer. And when you pray, when you learn how to pray, when you begin to lean into what God is doing in and through your generation, like all of a sudden things are starting to happen in a way that none of us can strategize or plan for or deal with. And like that, that is my prayer for you guys 
here at Ozark. I mean, like we have people in our hometown, Mike and Jody Hickerson, uh, T.D. Oaks, um, like others, uh, Brandon Reese of Storms who've come from Ozark. Like you guys are here at an amazing school to be prepared for life on mission. And it, like, like rumors and, and, and like um, uh, uh, the, the legacy of Ozark. I mean, you guys know what a special place you're at, right? I mean, you guys understand what God's doing through you here. And, and, and all I could say is like, could you learn how to become the kind of people of prayer who actually move, move God in, uh, in, in sort of joining what he's trying to do with your generation? This generation, you know, like I'm so hopeful for what you guys are, are, are going to do, but you're gonna have to step up, not just to like concoct it and try to strategize it, but to join God in what he is doing in that. Can you thank David for being here? Thanks, guys. I, uh, I hope that you've been blessed by your time in chapel this morning. Uh, I'm confident that you have been. Uh, I know I've been blessed by having this conversation. Um, just a reminder that David will be in the lobby uh, immediately after chapel. If you wanted to purchase the book, we've got some copies available for a discounted price. And, um, and so make sure you take advantage of that. Let me pray and then you'll be dismissed.